Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Our text will take us through the first five verses of chapter 3 as well. The church and the word. Paul is coming into the finale of his instructions to the Thessalonians. With regard to the passage before us and with how the Holy Spirit through Paul's pen will leave this wonderful, this great church at Thessaloniki with final instructions, we look at a message that I call the church and the word. There is something, there are many things, hopefully, distinct about the church in the world, but there should be one prevailing characteristic that elevates the church above all other organizations, institutions, whatever, although the church is an organism, the the church lives, it's a living thing. But what elevates the church is that the spirit, we are the temple of God, and the spirit abides in us, and we are armed with something that the world doesn't have and that is the word of God. When Paul writes to the Ephesians and he talks about outfitting the, the Christian as a, as a soldier, as a, as a Roman soldier, he talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of and so forth. And all those things that the Christian wears in a spiritual sense that Paul describes to the Ephesians are of a defensive nature. They are namely to deflect the attack of the enemy and to protect the Christian from the fierce blows and weapons of the enemy. But we have one thing in our hand as the church, as Christians, that is of an offensive nature used to attack and destroy, and that is the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. In the hand of a spirit-filled Christian, the word of God is a mighty sword. We have been duped in in these last days into apologizing for it or sheathing the sword through intimidation One of the saddest things I can think of is for a a force, a power, a person who is positioned righteously, has the correct stand on issues or whatever, and is bigger and stronger and more powerful than the one who is evil and somehow allows the, the weaker yet more evil one to intimidate 
and to threaten. When all that other righteous force being thing person has to do in the case of a Christian in the case of the church is unsheathe that sword and slash away because it's it's something that cannot be defended against as a matter of fact the great weapon of the Lord Christ at his return in glory when he comes to defeat his enemies gathered at Armageddon his appearance and the word that comes forth from him, the mighty, mighty attack, which is the word of God. And everything before him just collapses and melts and is destroyed in his presence. We should never be ashamed, number one, of the word of God, and number two, of using the word of God. Now, I've struggled with allergies. I'm negative on COVID, so you don't have to worry about that. But I'm on the verge of a cough. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you got any chewing tobacco? No, okay. I, that was a joke. All right. I'd have to spit in the baptistry, I guess, if I had some. Now back to my ministry side. I've told you this before. I live in a mindset of a sixth grade boy. That's how I see everything. That is my worldview. I see it like I saw it when I was in the sixth grade and sometimes it just comes out. All right. We have to take the position of understanding that the world has nothing to stand against the word of God when it is released from a spirit-filled believer or church. Now, the word of God is a spiritual thing. It lives. It's not dead. It lives. <coughs> I was afraid this was going to happen to me. That is why the work of the church is to preach the word, to teach the word, unleash the word from the earliest moments of the lives of our children. So then, what we bring into the world, of course we bring the love of Christ. <coughs> That's very important. It cannot reach the level, however, that it has reached in so many churches of causing a social gospel to preempt the gospel of Christ. It is right and it is good to take care of people as best we can, and to feed the hungry, and to clothe those who are naked, and to visit the prisoners. And our first, according to the New Testament, our first obligation is to do those things to believers. Our first obligation is to believers. As God presents the opportunities for us, we do the best we can for others. But the most important and absolute best thing that we can do for the world 
is unleash the word of God. We are, we can be hungry for a time, but all of us are destined for the end of days, every one of us. Nothing prepares the world corporately or the world as individuals. Nothing prepares the world like the word of God. No one can receive the word unless God has opened his heart and his mind to the word. You know, people can stand and read the Bible in some sort of public gathering and if it's, if it's an unbeliever who is reading it or if it's unbelievers to whom it's being read, it generally cannot be accepted unless God opens that heart. Regeneration, born again. The word of God is something that has to be spiritually apprised. It is a living thing. It's not just a bunch of words that are typed out on a sheet of paper. It is, it is, it is the, it's the power of God coming forth from his people. So this is how Paul is beginning to come into a landing on his final instructions to the Thessalonians. The church and the word. What do we do as Christians with the word of God? Well, let's look at it. Number one, we protect the word. Now I've had, looking back over the years, I had, uh, for example, in New Testament Greek, I had four years, and some of that was postgraduate, and the last part of it was what's called higher criticism. Understand this, when you see higher criticism, it isn't always being critical of the Bible. In New Testament Greek, for example, one, one enters into higher criticism when he, when he begins to study, like I'm looking at a, I'm, I'm considering a translation of the scriptures, from whence came the translation? Was it older manuscripts? Was it a majority text? You can, and also, what, what material was it written on? What kind of Material, because you can tell how old the manuscript is by the material on which it's written. And so you want to be as pure and as close to the original thing as possible. Therefore, in a sense, in that sense, higher criticism can be a good thing when you want to be sure not to teach the Bible in a flippant sense but more in an absolute sense, a sense of inerrancy and, and absolute truth. But when you think of people being critical of the Bible and they cast doubt on uh, portions of scriptures uh, or even the Bible itself, especially when it comes from uh, the so-called church, that's a horribly dangerous thing. 
Um, and it's one of the weapons used in, uh, in, in the, in the two, that comes from the toolbox of Satan. What was the first question that came in unbelief? Yea, hath God said? We don't do that. We study this thing to show the, the firmness of it, the absoluteness of it, the power of it. How it changes lives and people and nations. How it affects the very course of history, the Word of God. So first thing is, Christians, we protect the Word of God. We, we reject those criticisms that to me are lower criticism, not higher criticism. The attacks on the word of God. One thing we're careful of, our Sunday school, for example, there are many times that uh, I'm asked to review something that might come as, a, as some sort of, of teaching material and I will reject it because it's not true. It has, it has pieces of of untruth here and there, presenting it as, as truth. And I can't, we can't do that. It has to be absolutely true to the absolute truth. One of, one of our jobs as believers is to protect the word. If you're parents of young children, one of the things that you want to do is to make sure that whatever your children might be exposed to passes the litmus test of the holy word of God. Protect them from things that are untrue. We are, we are overwhelmed these days with delusion and deceit. And it comes in the sweetest kinds of packages. It comes in the sweetest ways. But always and forever, our first job is to make sure that it doesn't contradict the precious, holy word of God. If it does, then a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If it contradicts the blessed, holy word of God, we must forbid it and reject it. We cannot accept it because it has behind it a very powerful demon. It has behind it the forces of hell itself. We cannot accept it. We must reject it. This is what the Holy Spirit is in us to do. The Holy Spirit teaches us truth and will not lead us into untruth. Protect the word. So let's look at it together here. Beginning in verse 15, chapter 2, Paul is finalizing his teaching to the Thessalonians. So then, brothers, stand firm. That word means be fixed, immovable, stekete, stand firm, and seize control. Seize control. Kratete. 
rule, take rule, take charge, seize control to the instructions. Now the instructions, this is an interesting, this is an interesting way for the Holy Spirit to present to us the way that one generation passes the word of God to the next generation. Paradosis. Traditions are the thing that was expected to be passed. The instructions that were expected. Now, let me tell you this. In the modern church, quote, traditions, close quote, can be a, a terrible thing. I, I, I pastored a church one time. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Well, that's the way it is. And there was this, uh, what was that thing called? The church covenant. It was the first, you didn't even see the Bible before you saw that thing. Man, that thing was in a frame like eight feet by 10 feet. That was a huge thing. The church covenant. And so you stand there and you read that thing. And I'd study that. I'd I'd, I'd have to stand in front of it every week when I, bade our people goodbye, shaking their hands, church covenant. And I knew, I got to know my people, and I knew that they weren't doing all that stuff, you know? And there was one particular part down there that said you shouldn't drink alcoholic beverages, you shouldn't sell or participate in the sale of alcoholic beverages. And that kind of troubled me. One of our, one of our most popular long-term deacons was a manager of a large store that sold, that sold alcoholic beverages, you know? Here's my point. You shouldn't drink. And I don't think you should sell it, but that's between you and the Lord. Let me tell you this, though. That's a tradition that's a a man-made thing, but these are traditions. This is the Word of God as it's passed down. That's what this word is talking about, paradosis. The the passed down to to stand by passing down. That's para means to alongside of, doesn't mean to, it's a compound word that means to stand by the passing down. That's the word of God. Of course, in the greater context, you can see, and he says whether by word or letter, you can see he's talking about the word of God. And so what, here's, what, what are we to do here? Those of us who are here, Shiloh Baptist Church, I can't speak for other churches I stand here, hopefully, in the word of, the God, of God, speaking for the Lord to the people who are my congregation. We are to be fixed in this, and we are to seize control of the passing down of the instructions that we teach. We can't surrender that. I, I'm, I know that I'm, I don't care if I'm, I don't care. I know I'm harsh on things like this. I'm, I'm a hard-nosed person when it comes to the Bible. 
And I, I've always been this way. When I first started preaching as a young preacher, I, I started getting, well, I inherited a subscription that the previous guy was subscribed to. God love him. I don't, that's his business. But it was a calendar of sermons. And it had the text and it had the points. It had a poem, I guess, if it was appropriate or whatever. It even had stories to tell. Well, I didn't know if those things were true or not, you know. Some kind of tear-jerking story, whatever. And I thought to myself, I, I can't subscribe to something like this. I, it, do, it doesn't seem to fit the scripture always. It's just sort of a textual thing. Give them a text and then appeal to the emotion. And that to me was not what is taught here. Take charge of what you have received from the teacher, the teacher's the instructions, take charge of it, seize control of it, that which you were taught, and be responsible for it. Namely, take care of it. Protect it. It's now yours to dispense and to do so correctly. Seize control to the instructions that you were taught, whether by word or by letter from us. Apostolic doctrine. The teaching of the apostles, which came directly from Christ, according to John 14 through 16. Christ promised them that he would bring these things to their minds. Apostolic teaching, the teaching of the apostles, the doctrine of the New Testament, as we have it, seize control of it, take it carefully, guard it with everything that you have, and make sure that it is passed down in the same way. You cannot water it down. If anything, you improve upon the way that you pass it down. Get on your face before God and beg God, the Holy Spirit, to enrich your life and then ask God to take that burning coal off of that altar in heaven and touch your lips with it and touch your tongue with it and touch your mind with it and fill you with the Spirit and protect it and waver neither to the right nor to the left and mix nothing from the world into it. Nothing. Protect the word. That's what we are told. That's what we're supposed to do as the church, as believers. Nothing. Nothing. I will entertain nothing that in any whit seeks to diminish the power and the glory and the absolute truth of the precious, holy, blessed word of God that has survived all assaults and attacks since the beginning. Second thing, be strong in the word. Now may... Our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. The one having loved us. That's the agape. You see it up there? Agapesis. 
having loved uh, us. That's the love, that is the love of esteem and pleasure. Phileo love is the love of family. It's a natural love. But then there's this love of esteem and pleasure. That's agape. He loved us. Having loved us and having given us eternal comfort by grace. Comfort. Eternal comfort. Paraklesin. Para, there's that word alongside klesin from kaleo to call. To call alongside. Another form of the word is parakaleo is the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Having given us eternal comfort by grace. Comforted in every good work and word. So, having loved us, it's in the aorist active, which means it just goes on and on. His love for us does. Having given us eternal comfort, comfort called alongside for help to aid us. Encourage your hearts. There's another form of the same word. You see that? Uh, Pedicalesi. The first one is pedicalesin, pedicalesi. This is a closer, more intense and intimate word. May he comfort, but then may he just be right there close by to strengthen us. To strengthen us, to make us established, to fix our direction, strengthen in every good work and word. The next thing for us then is to release the word. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be timid about the word of God. It is a two-edged sword. That means regardless of which direction you sling it in, it's going to do something. It divides asunder the soul and the spirit. Nothing, you know, that's, that's, it is hard to sit down with a psychology book and separate a person from his, separate his soul from his spirit. You can't do that. It takes the word of God to do that. To separate his soul from his spirit. Now, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread quickly. We're, we're on a vital mission in the world. We have only the days that we live. I was born July the 4th, 1951. It'll end somewhere. I only have those years. That's all I have to do the things that God has called me to do. That the word of the Lord may spread quickly and may be glorified. To glorify the word of God. Some years back, the Southern Baptist Convention was in a struggle over the inerrancy of Scripture. I was a much younger pastor. I was filled with spit and fire. It's mostly just spit now. 
<laughs> it was so bad in Dallas, Texas. I met a, an evangelist, Sam Cathy. You may or may not have ever heard of Sam Cathy. He was the, he was the really hotshot evangelist back in those days, 60s, 70s, early 80s. Sam came to our church where we were and did a revival with us. And this guy, if there's anything above ADHD, that's what he was. He was, you couldn't calm him down for anything. I mean, he was just, you couldn't keep up with him. He was, he was skinny and kind of small. And he watched me, I would try to be private on this kind of thing, but he watched me out in the garage one time doing my my karate workout. He said, oh man, he said, I'm a boxer. I said, oh yeah? Yeah, I'm a boxer? Well, come into the garage. <laughs> you little wormy thing. He wasn't a boxer for long, but let me tell you. <laughs> we got to this convention and so you had the conservatives and the liberals. The conservatives were going to vote in everybody that was an inerrantist for the presidency and all this other stuff. The liberals had their candidate. And you know, you know Christ was pleased with all of this. But man, I, had my, I was on the conservative side. My, mm. The pastor's conference was controlled by the conservatives. And so it was like a pep rally for our guy who's going to run for the presidency of the convention. And that other, I can't remember what it was called, that the liberals, they were pathetic. They, they always gave them the smaller ballroom because there hardly anybody would show up at that thing. But they gave us this, man, it would seat 25, 30,000 and still weren't enough seats. Well, okay, so the time comes for the vote. Well, there are votes leading up to the vote that reveal whether or not you're a conservative or a liberal. And the overflow room, I think Charles Stanley was the president of the convention then. The overflow room had all these people that was mostly, they were mostly liberals. So here's this guy, Charles standing to him. He said, I want, you to control, I want you to be moderator in the overflow room. <laughs> well, nobody had any control over the microphones except the head table. And it went in order. It didn't choose. It went in order. In other words, microphone number one and then microphone number and so forth. It went in order. So the next one was the next one. Nobody controlled that. But all of the discussion was in the favor of the conservatives and the liberals who were in the overflow room felt like they were netting, never getting uh, recognized. And so they stormed, <laughs> they stormed the stage of the moderator and they were going to beat him up. Sam Cathy looks me up. 
in the break between, because the next, the next vote was the biggie, the presidency of the convention. Brother Charles, I'm glad I found you, man. I'm glad I found you. We need you. We need you bad. I want you to serve security. <laughs> he said, uh, these liberals are threatening and intimidating our guys at the, at the, at the uh, microphone. And they're going to they're gonna gang up and beat him up. I said, are you telling me that I get to go and fight liberals? <laughs> well, that's a no-brainer. Where do I sign up? We went over there. I felt so out of place. We left our holy and hallowed seats in the main thing. <laughs> and actually were numbered among the liberals that I might sit close to the guy, the little old squirrely guy that was up there trying to control the microphone. And thankfully, they saved the fist fights till outside. You remember that? Those guys in the fist fight. <laughs> two, two preachers. I love the Word of God. Well, I love the Word of God too, but I hate you and I hate you. Man, they're bashing each other. It was kind of entertaining. They couldn't fight worth a flip. <laughs> of course, the, 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 the conservatives always won by a pretty big margin, as I recall, back in those days. Um, and here we were fighting over the Word of God, whether or not it was completely true or kind of true. Chris will used to say that the, the half infidel liberals believed that the Bible was inspired in spots and they were inspired to pick out the spots. Um, so I was listening and one of the words, I'd never heard this word until I got to listening to these debates between the liberals and conservatives and one of the favorite words from the liberals was bibliolatry. In other words, you've made the Bible an idol. Well, you know, of course, the, the psalmist says that God has exalted his word above all of his name. How can you know the truth of God apart from the word of God? And so they, they make these things up. And I thought of this passage of scripture. We're encouraged to glorify the word of the Lord. What's wrong with that? God has revealed himself in his creation. In the incarnate son of God. Jesus the word. And in his written word. And I thank God for his word. I thank God for his word. We are along with the apostle. Do all that we can do. That the word of the Lord may spread quickly. And may be glorified. It is above all other written things. Man I used to feel like I had to defend the Bible on my own. You know. Evolution. And all this other stuff that comes along. And so I subscribed to scientific journals and I bought all the newest collegiate and graduate, not all of them, but some of them, um, 
textbooks of science. They were always changing. The theories were always changing. Word of God never changed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And it has, just like that. So what I do is I have decided, and I decided this a long time ago, just let the word stand on its own. It has its power. If it comes from a sincere heart and from spirit-filled people, it will do its work. Doesn't need my help. It works on its own to spread quickly and be glorified just as it did with you. Paul says, you know, You've been right there with us, spreading the word of God and glorifying it. Now, what happens when we try to, when we do that? Well, here it is, that we be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all are of the faith. He's talking about people who were attacking him from within the church. Because they cast doubt on the word of God. But the Lord is faithful. Who will strengthen you. And protect you. From evil. I've, I've lasted. I may drop dead here in a minute. But I've lasted a long time. Just teaching it and preaching it. I've had people get mad at me because. I was supposed to be a civitan and I was supposed to be this and I was supposed to be that and wear wingtip shoes and do all that stuff. I've had people get, I don't care. You know, here's a quarter, call somebody, who cares? I learned a long time ago that the thing that drives me and burns me from the inside out is to preach it and to teach it and to do the best I can at the moment. To grow in it and to help others to grow in it. He'll protect you. He'll use you until he's done with you. And then that's okay. What's next? The reward, right? So, the Lord is faithful. If you rest in the word, the Lord is faithful who will strengthen you and protect you from evil to rest in the word. We are convinced. We are persuaded in the Lord as to you that you're both doing and will do the things that we command. And may the Lord make your heart straight. May he direct your hearts. May he fix your journey into the love of God and into the steadfastness, the patient endurance of Christ. The purpose of God and the will of God is supreme over all other purposes and wills. You cannot outwill God. That's a silly thing to think of. That your will could be stronger than the will of God. That your purpose or the purpose of a nation or the purpose of a group of nations could be stronger than the purpose of God. There is this struggle where these purposes and wills are trying to gain access into the higher place, but they never will. 
And so we just keep going on. In the word of God as the people of God. We rest in his word. This is where we are. We don't need anything else. It gives me everything. Over a period of. Okay, so I was ordained in 1978. That's a long time. I started. I could have built two houses for what I spent on books. That's right. In the days before the internet, I'd spread those things out. I'd have 30 books laid out. I'd run over here and look at this, run over here and look at this. I have learned now those things helped. I'm not saying they didn't help. And I like to read what other men write about the Word of God from time to time. But I have found in these last days what I have rested upon is the original text of the Word of God. The only thing I have in my library, you can see it, I have a few karate books. (laughs) And I have a whole bunch of original language books, Hebrew, Greek. And I have come to just rest on the Word, just the Word. Let it speak for itself. And through time, it has never stopped. Never has stopped. A lot of those books in my library aren't, aren't published anymore. It's because the Holy Spirit of God wasn't in it. I mean, a lot of those guys meant well. That's okay. One of them. How to win souls in the 60s. <laughs> this guy, man, he looked like a used car salesman. He, you know, he, forgive me if you sell used cars. Um, <clears throat> but it was back in the day where they had sport coats with lapels out to here and ties that were eight inches wide. And it was all about public relations and marketing and cutesy things, how to win souls in the 60s. How you did it in the 60s and how you do it today, we don't win the souls. The Lord wins his own souls. We just put it out there. You rest. He is our Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. I rest in him. He is everything to me. He's the author and the finisher of my salvation and all points in between. He is the word. From, the, from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22-21, it's his story. And we see him everywhere, all across those pages. And we just understand that absolutely who we are in this world and in this life, we are people of the word. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. 
The great direction of God, to sum it up, is to admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus as your only Savior, and call on him in confession of sin to save you. God will save you, bound by his word to do so. If you came here without Christ, you don't have to leave that way. We're about to be dismissed from this room and this service, but as you exit, you will see deacons and wives just across the hall, standing indoors, ready to pray with you. Maybe you're here, you're already a believer, already a Christian. God is leading you to come and be a part of our congregation. We'll take care of all those details. You just speak to those deacons about that. But for now, let's all prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll pray and be dismissed.